This one is set on a boat. Wait, last episode we were in space and this time we're on a boat? This time we're on a boat. I like that. Okay, I am currently in international waters, the location of my future home. International waters where there are no no laws other than the law of the sea. All right, time to drop anchor. The 245-meter-long cruise ship has gone by many different names. When it was first delivered to Princess Cruises in 1991 from the Italian shipyard where it was built, it was the Regal Princess. In 2007, it was refurbished and renamed Pacific Dawn. The plan had been to retire the ship from that company's fleet in 2020 and sell it off to another cruise company to live out its days as the Amy Johnson. Something else happened in 2020 and resulted in an unexpected new owner with an unexpected new name. Do you want to know what was being sold at bargain basement prices in October 2020? Cruise ships? When it was built in 1991, the Pacific Dawn cost 280 million US dollars to manufacture. 30 years later, uh, the market rates say it should have been selling for about 100 million. In October 2020, it sold for nine and a half. Whoa, deal. It's a pretty good deal. And someone bought it. A team of three people to be specific. Its new name, the MS Satoshi. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's like a, like a mobile crypto grift. Dude, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> for anyone that doesn't know, Satoshi refers to Satoshi Nakamoto, the anonymous author of the Bitcoin white paper. They named the boat after the creator of crypto. This whole thing is set on a boat, but it's really about two big ideas. The first, obviously, is crypto, and more broadly, the idea of decentralization in cryptography-based tech replacing old tech. Cryptocurrency did it for money, so the wisdom went, what else can you do it for? And the other big idea is the idea of seasteading. The dream of like shuffling off the shackles of society and building a new home or nation, homesteading, but out at sea. Seasteading. The forging of new nations not on land but on the ocean. You've got crypto people trying to start new nations where they can be free to do whatever weird crypto stuff they want. And since land is broadly all being used up, they're going to go do it on the ocean. And this weird moment, right around 2020, when those two ideas, a new nation at sea and crypto will solve everything, colliding. To all those out there who want to control people's lives through force, here's my big finger to you. You know where you can stick this. And a handful of people attempting to start a new crypto-centric libertarian nation at sea off the coast of Panama on a retired cruise ship. So we're going to discuss the maiden voyage of the MS Satoshi here on Hacked. I was really hoping it was like a mobile crypto grift and it like floated around the sea, like trying to sell like physical bitcoins to people. <laughs> physical bitcoins, like they're minting them down in the hole. Exactly, exactly. They're just like one of those penny pressing machines that you get at like landmarks. Or like a, at like a fair or a pier or something and you put a penny into it and it smears it out. I love that. Yeah, exactly. Things. Stamps it into a bitcoin. For sure. Like, here you go, $20,000. Wasn't somebody doing that in like Central Park in New York? They were like going around selling actual physical bitcoins, being like, "Can't miss out on this opportunity. Buy a bitcoin." That's um, and like hyphenate bitcoin or just spell it differently so it's legally <laughs> distinct. So when people get angry that they don't own a bitcoin, you're like, "Well, you didn't buy a bitcoin. You bought a bitcoin." <laughs> See, but nobody knows. Nobody owns bitcoin. Who's going to sue you? It's unregulated. You can do whatever you want. It's on the blockchain, and it's. It's like literally like a, a nice chain you wear around your neck, and that we told you it was on the block. <laughs> exactly. Buyer beware. Buyer beware. 
So this is an interesting story. It's about tech and people trying to hack something together. And it's uh, kind of a story, I think, also about hubris and the idea that we know a lot about crypto. We must be able to hack together a whole new nation. Does it have decentralized control and voting? Importantly, well, you'd think, right? You'd think that a sort of crypto anarcho cap, you'd think that like a crypto nation would be very decentralized in its structure. Um, and you would be wrong. <laughs> I do not broadly agree with the politics that underpin the MS Satoshi. I don't think I'd want to live in the society that they're trying to create. I think there's like foundational problems with the thinking behind projects like this that is irreconcilable with their long-term success. It's not for me. But I do love a big, crazy swing. And the trouble with most big, crazy swings in how we organize society is they tend to be done to people. A lot of people end up having an idea for a new system uh, tested on them, and when it doesn't work, the people who cooked it up aren't often the ones that have to live with the repercussions. So if I'm being generous about this very weird idea, some folks saying we're going to go over here and try and do this on our own, and if it fails, we'll have only ourselves to answer to, that is about the best way I can think of to do a thing I don't think you should do. So credit where it's due. Do, 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 do. So tell me about the MS Satoshi. Tell me about why we didn't get an invite to go, go aboard. Sounds like a great time. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during its like inaugural voyage. I think it would have been really, really interesting. I like being on in the ocean and I love crazy schemes. So And I love beautiful, you know, warm climates. And like I feel like being a fly on the wall of the FTX collapse would have been awesome to be there for too. <laughs> we gotta start doing more boots on the ground reporting. Uh but we only hear about these stories after they happen. We need to make these things into docudramas and relive them. Go spend a year in, in the Caribbean making a film about FTX. That'd be amazing. Have you ever heard of seasteading, Scott? I have. You have? Have. What have you heard about it? Well, it probably in the current in the current sense, no. But there was uh there was an old data center. Made on an old drilling rig hmm. out at sea. Yeah, this is an old story, and it was like a. They tried to make like a data island, and it was kind of its own yeah world. And they made it into a server farm, and it had its own data. And I can't remember anything else about it, but I remember that, and I assume that <laughs> is as close to seasteading as anything I've ever thought about. So that's what I know about seasteading. I remember that too. Okay. Um, world's most notorious micronation has the secret to protecting your data from the NSA Sealand. Sealand. I hadn't, I read so much about the story and I've totally forgotten about this. This is, this is all I know about. If this is not seasteading, then I know nothing about seasteading, but I feel like this is the. Whenever I think about something like seasteading, this is what jumps to mind for me. No, this is bang on. Data havening in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. With like a tax haven like layer smeared on top. Totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Because they're their own nation states, so they get to define taxes and laws, of course. Of course. Well, and that's a big part of it as we're gonna discuss, I think, right now. Um, here is a clip of Patrick Friedman grandson of Milton Friedman, a much higher profile uh, libertarian icon. Patry is speaking at a 2010 event and he's painting uh, a picture of his vision of the future. And that future is seasteading. So let's take a look. Let's take stock of our societal environment today. We have incredible potential as new technologies open up new possibilities. We could have open source societies drawn from a Wikipedia of rules and social structures. We could organize society as a direct democracy using social networks. Or we could choose to subscribe to a shiny, integrated citizen experience that we renew annually. But our societal environment blocks this potential. Let's consider the evolution of today's dominant species of society that we live in representative democracy. 
That evolution took a bloody revolution and an open frontier where the new society could grow up far away from its parents, who were not so supportive. But we've run out of frontier. All land is claimed. And our revolutions have become increasingly superficial. We're changing individual leaders. We're no longer creating new societies. From a social sense, it's like we're back in the age of the dinosaurs. The world is full of these big, blundering country creatures. And there's no space, there's no place for new evolutionary leaps to better ways for us to live together. In some ways, the stability is wonderful. These are my children, and it's wonderful that they can grow up safe from violence, enjoying new technologies. But we could offer them so much more, and I want to. I don't trust 18th century societal DNA to handle the problems of the 21st century. But what can we do? Well, let's learn from this journey and return to where we began, the oceans. The nephew of Milton Friedman? Uh, That's the, correct. The grandson nephew? of Milton grandson. Friedman. Patry Friedman. You got it. Patry. And we yeah. were criticizing democracy as being a something that <laughs> has lasted for <laughs> hundreds of years as maybe the most adaptable form of democracy <laughs> that tolerates human behavior. This may be a reason why it's lasted a few hundred years. <clears throat> Last time I checked, Listen. the other forms of democracy have a tendency to fail. Our other forms of government have a tendency to fail pretty quick. Yeah, no, they sure do. Listen, I don't want to put words in Patry's mouth. Uh, I don't know if he's criticizing democracy broadly or the specific uh, structure. There's many ways to do a democracy. You'd have to ask him. That's true. But he's certainly, I think it's fair to say, talking a pretty big game. <laughs> Red read is read his great grandfather's book, or one of them anyway. Totally. Yeah. Patrick co-founded the Seasteading Institute in 2008 with a half a million in seed funding from the last name in our super famous libertarian rich guy bingo card, Peter Thiel. Nice. So four years ago, I started the Seasteading Institute with venture capitalist Peter Thiel, who took a bet on our mission to open the oceans for human habitation and new societies. They imagined that within five years, there would be a seasteading uh, like kind of experiments popping up all around the world. And within a decade, there would be permanent communities at sea. He imagined our future as one in which millions would live in these different types of floating cities. If you've ever played the game Bioshock, it in no way evokes that. <laughs> I'm sure. I was just sitting here being like, wow, I feel like I've lived this life in a digital sense before. <laughs> no, there's no parallels whatsoever. <laughs> Would you kindly move on? <laughs> okay, wait, wait, wait. Digression, quick digression here. If we're just yeah. going to take sci-fi yeah. themes from video games oh God. <laughs> and apply them to raising seed capital, like Halo, Halo, great sure. game. We could build a Halo in the sky yeah. and live on yeah, there. Yeah. I, they pretty much figured it all out. So we just need to yeah, sure. raise, raise some money and create a society living in a spinning Halo in the sky. I would, I'd be more likely to live in the giant sky-spinning halo. Well, depends on who's running it. <laughs> it it reminds, it's the, uh, you know, the, there's like that tweet, and it goes, sci-fi author. In my book, I invented the Torment Nexus as a cautionary tale. Tech company. At long last, we have created the Torment Nexus from the classic <laughs> sci-fi novel, Don't Create the Torment Nexus. <laughs> I'm reminded of that tweet a lot throughout this story. <laughs> Let's discuss our three main characters, Grant Romont, Rudiger Koch, and Chad L. Wartowski. Let's start with Grant. The Canadian son of a hairdresser, Romont launched a early popular web series in 2009, right around the same time, called Scissor Boy. That show found a nice audience, and that led him to start a software project for hairdressers called Schedulebox, which was like reception software for hair salons. That did well enough that he was able to basically retire back to Canada in 2016 to a life on the water kayaking on Lake Ontario. Lovely. He discovered that the water was to his liking. One day, on a flight, Grant is sitting next to a guy wearing a t-shirt that says, Stop arguing, start seasteading. The shirt belonged to a guy named Joe Quirk who had co-founded the Seasteading Institute with Friedman. And as they flew... They discussed this idea. At this point, seasteading had been 
pretty unsuccessful. There'd been loose ideas for projects off the coast of California, a swing at a series of these like floating structures in French Polynesia, when the people of French Polynesia saw the plan and said no, and the government pulled out. But Ramont hears the idea, sees this kind of vision of new nations blooming at sea, and says, I kind of want to try and take a crack at this. Quirk introduces Grant Roma to the other two big characters, an American, kind of crypto-tech libertarian type dude named L. Wartowski, and a German engineer who'd made a ton of money in Bitcoin named Koch. They all got together. They met up. They start to talk about seasteading. And they talk about crypto and tech. And they clearly kick it off. And they say, you know what? Let's do it. Let's start a company. Let's try and make this happen. So they incorporate as ocean builders. Such an interesting concept because it's like everything I know about building is that water is like the the antithesis and the the arch enemy of any kind of construction. Like water destroys all. A hundred percent. So it just seems like such an insane yeah. desire to build functional, long-lasting spaces. Like look at even boats. Like they need like owning a boat is like one of the most insane things you can do financially because it just requires perpetual maintenance because oh, for sure. it's pretty much de- dying the entire time it's in the water. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like water is bad for everything that you use in construction pretty much. Completely. You know, concrete, steel, wood. Pressure of water and velocity and and power of waves. Like it just seems Yeah. It seems like building a halo in space. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe that's Elon's much easier. Tip. Like you know, we got sure. we got Peter Thiel building Sea Worlds, and maybe Elon's go gonna on. go Halo. I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I want to like these ideas, but they're just—it's just the execution is so wanting. No, I completely agree. I, for some dumb reason, sync time. I like, I put on YouTube videos in the background uh, when I'm like putzing around the house of like just people. Like, I like construction YouTube. I don't know why. Smart. Um, I find like building structures from like dirt up to a finished thing. I'm like, I find this interesting. I want to know how this is done. And like half of that shit is just waterproofing. It's just water membrane, a layer of water. It's so many water membranes. The water is a really antagonistic place to try and build a permanent shelter for a human being. It's hard enough to do on land. Absolutely. Yeah. And like water, again, even if you do build on land, water is still the arch enemy of yes. your building. Yes. Like, like if you have a subtle leak inside of your house that you don't know about, oh. it's like with, within a short period of time, your home is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it, it's such an amazing, it's such a, it's such an amazing like velocity of destruction sure. for something so weak. Oh, totally. Like look at the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon is like what a water drip turns into over the course of a long enough timeline. Completely. And boats <laughs> are our like best swing <laughs> over like hundreds of thousands of years of just trying to like conquer the water. Boats are our best like attempt at it. Um, boats aren't really where they started. A big cruise ship nation was not their first collaboration or idea. The three of these guys, they put their own cash on the line and they come up with this idea, kind of like their first prototype of a seastead, which is a big, white, eight-sided floating platform anchored 12 nautical miles off the Thai coast. It's a big cylinder in the middle of the ocean. It's kind of hard to miss. Because this is an audio-based format, I'm just going to describe what I'm looking at. What are we looking at here, Scott? (laughs) Something shockingly smaller than I was expecting to see. Like, this thing is maybe 150 square feet. It appears to be, you say it was hexagonal? Eight-sided, so octagonal, I believe. Octagonal. Octagonal, probably aluminum C structure (laughs) standing on a single support beam. With a tiny little sun deck above with a few hammocks. <laughs> like it looks. That's pretty accurate. Like the world's worst Airbnb. It doesn't appear to be any windows. Nope. 
in the actual story. I just need to keep going. No, no, you really, really drive home how unpleasant a place this looks to live for, (laughs) say, a couple months. Uh, Yeah, this looks, this looks, this looks like a prison where you put like a supervillain, and it's like. You know, like it's something from like a sci-fi movie, and it's like Magneto's in this. Yeah, thing. sure. You got to put him and in the middle of the ocean, like, or he'll kill people with metal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, if it is a prison where you keep a supervillain, uh, El Wartowski and his girlfriend Nadia Summergirl put their money where their mouth is, and they move into this structure in early 2018. Whoa! And and so wait, this this person is also wealthy, correct? And they've chosen to do this. Even though they have the means to live other 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 places, I think when you get it in your head that you need to forge a new nation because no one else has figured it out yet, but you probably will for some reason. Yeah, it seems uh, it it it'll push people to do some pretty wild uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah, love it. Love the passion. Love the passion. Love a big swing. Uh, at first, everything was pretty chill, as chill as living on a big empty drilling platform in the middle of the ocean goes. It was it was going okay. Until the Thai government started to really dig into the project and were really not excited by the implications of a so-called sovereign nation living in the territorial waters of their very sovereign nation. They warn El Wartowski that this could lead to serious consequences, which would include life in prison or execution. When the Thai Navy sent out three ships to, you know, take apart the floating nation home, Wartowski didn't want to find out which of those it was going to be, and they cook it out of there. So they so they build this thing in the middle of the ocean. They get tossed up because they've put their sovereign nation into controlled waters of a different sovereign nation. Is my understanding, which yeah. seems like yeah, just bad planning. They they bolt before the Thai military missiles this thing out of the <laughs> out of the ocean. <laughs> Which you know, fair enough. Yeah, no, I would. I too. also would bolt. There is no. I will. I will note that given how small this is, there is no helipad. And it looks like they had a couple of like pontoon dinghy boats. So that was probably their escape. Their grand escape was. I, I guess the the benefit of it being like you know a hundred and six square feet is that they probably didn't have enough. They didn't have a lot with them, so they probably yeah, packing was quick. Managed totally. to get out of there. I wonder what the internet was like there. Imagine pretty mediocre. Yeah, imagine not yeah, great. I mean, they were vlogging, so I, yeah. I mean, they had some kind of coverage. Satellites. Yeah. Yeah, imagine they had some form of satellites. Too far away, I think, for cellular band. But, but uh, so they bolt out of this, they run away, and then they create a boat nation. <laughs> it doesn't slow them down. They, they run, but it doesn't slow them down. In 2019, Ramont, Coke, and Wartowski decide, we're going to relocate this company a lo- somewhere a little friendlier, and they move it to Panama where they felt they had found a government that was willing to support their latest brainchild after the sea platform, something called Seapod. Mm-hmm. Picture like a single unit floating home hoisted about 10 feet above the sea by like a central pillar with a tripod-style base submerged down in the ocean. If you give it a Google, you'll see the idea. Oh, wow. Very sci-fi looking. Very sci-fi looking. The guy behind these very sci-fi looking dwellings was a Dutch guy named Cohen Ultheus, who kind of calls himself an aquitect, an architect who's all about designing stuff for life on the water. If you look at these sea pod renderings you're looking at right now, they've got kind of like a, an apple futurism type thing going on, almost like a big like bike helmet popping out of the ocean. They're, they're quite impressive looking. They're pretty cool looking. Like The renders are very neat. Um, yeah, like we'll I can see this. Later. Like we're talking about Airbnb potential. <laughs> like this has strong totally. Airbnb potential. The uh, the other one, the previous one in Thai waters, not so much. But these, <laughs> I would, I would, I would cop a couple nights and and boat out here and stay here just for the like interest of it. Oh, completely. I, I get the appeal of this design. I think uh, Ultheus is by. Uh, I don't know much about aquitecture. They look pretty cool. They set up a new factory in Linton Bay, a marina in Panama's northern coast, and they assemble a crew of about 30 engineers and mechanics, and they start construction of these seapot prototypes in early 2020. But, as we talked about, uh, water and construction, challenging. It is slow making these things. There's no tested supply chains for aquitecture. There's no best practices. It is exceptionally difficult and expensive by everything I was able to read about it. So, they're working on these pods, and it's slow, and they're worried about being able to scale their capacity in a reasonable timeline. But there'd always been this other idea. But there's more. 
We've talked about the nature of the ocean today. It's, it's a unique place. It's a dynamic medium that mixes things, that allows movement, and that makes it perfect for societal evolution. Large ships are literally as big as skyscrapers, yet they move all the, all the time with ease, which means that ocean cities can be modular. They can constantly evolve by trading buildings, by splitting and by combining in a way that's impossible on land, basically by having sex. This kind of adjacent idea to the sea pods, that a fast, easy way to scale one of these island pod communities could be to sort of just tack on a cruise ship. This actually makes a lot of sense to me. You've got the fixed floating pod homes and up pulls a giant ship. And the benefit is that you can move the ship. Maybe the ship comes and goes. It's a lifeline to land, a bunch of housing and amenities all in one. It's kind of like a town square of an imagined seastead. But you get the sense they're struggling to make the financials of the pods make sense, let alone go buy a cruise ship. Until some stuff happens to the price of cruise ships. Sure. Nine million. Nine and a half million. Way better than 99 million. By fall 2020, that math had changed. Um, the travel industry had taken a pretty big hit. Cruise lines are going under. Empty vessels are piling up in ports or heading off to the scrapyard. And that's when it dawns on the Ocean Builders trio. Now might be the time to bag a bargain. In October 2020, Ramont Koka Wartowski snagged the former P&O cruise ship, the Pacific Dawn, for, as you said, $9.5 million pre-pandemic much more. They give Ultheus the go-ahead to start designing, kind of whip up some plans for a version of their nation where the ship plays a starring role in this floating community surrounded by clusters and communities of sea pods. Ultheus visualized the Satoshi, which they had named it, linking up to man-made floating platforms for farming, production, green spaces, versus two big arching circular tunnels running on the water. Which means that from a bird's eye view, the entire community, a ship with these two big sort of arches coming out of it, would resemble a shape. The letter B is in the Bitcoin B symbol. Of course, of course. The Panamanian government was seemingly all in for this project. The Ministry of Tourism was banking on the new community being a big tourist draw, part of their sustainable tourism master plan. Uh, they did not seem bothered about the idea of a bunch of crypto-rich folks setting off like setting up an offshore tax-free community. <clears throat> the new company named to operate and sell units in this big cruise ship nation boat thing, Viva Vivas, adapted from the Latin phrase, vive ut vivas, meaning live so that you may live. I've just been obsessively staring at this Ocean Builders website, looking at these things. Isn't it fascinating? Like it is, it's a genuinely interesting I, like, scheme to look at. <laughs> I can't help but feel like if they could actually build these things for reasonable money, they would make very sold out Airbnbs. Like if you could and like pay taxes, like you don't sure. need to make a new nation state on the no, water. No, no, but no, exactly. You just drop a bunch of these in like cool places. Mm -hmm. Like who who wouldn't want to stay in one of these? Like some of these have like like the ones that have like the the sea deck down on the water and like these beautiful big covered decks and like they're really like I don't they just seem like the coolest hotel that doesn't exist yet. Floating homes have existed forever. There's situations where they make 100% sense. The idea in 2023 of having very very fancy versions of that, there would be a huge audience for that. Absolutely. Tacking on a like crypto Tax free, all of that stuff, <laughs> that is a separate idea. <laughs> and it is the intersection of these two ideas, I think, where trouble emerges. Yeah, like I feel like as a, the real proof of concept for this, I, I, I just, in my heart of hearts, believes is like an eco hotel on the water. And it's like, I feel like that's, a, that's an easy win. You put 10 or 12 of these things, some decks, maybe like a supporting structure that has like a restaurant in it. You like boat up and stay there. It, it just seems like something everybody would want to do for like two or three nights, just to like go and it's kind of like the, 
in like French Polynesia, you know, the the glass Ford bungalows over the water. And sure. Like it kind of has that that vibe, except for like a Apple iPod kind of sure moder- modernist minimal vibe. It just seems like seems like it's a lost opportunity now just to go full Airbnb on this, you know. I honestly think that's probably where <laughs> this is going to end up. Yeah. Like, this makes sense for hospitality. It doesn't necessarily. I don't know that I think it makes total sense for forging a new nation. But like, if this was on Booking.com while I was scrolling around, and it was in my price point, I would totally stay in one of these. It's neat. Yeah. It's cool. Exactly. Like exactly. I enjoy a Reddit "Ask Me Anything." I don't know about you, Scott. I live for a for a "Ask Me Anything." <laughs> Elwar Towski decides that is the platform to unveil his grand scheme. He announces on Reddit, so I'm buying a cruise ship and naming it MS Satoshi, ask me anything. And naturally, that gets a lot of response. Some people really, really stoked. Some people kind of trying to get jobs on the boat. Others, more skeptical. Uh, a lot of people evoking things like Fire Festival. But generally speaking, at first, there were a lot of seemingly serious inquiries, trying to understand the practicalities of what life on board this cruise ship would be like. Where is the power coming from? Gas, internet, food, water, toiletries. What taxes will she be subject to? And Al Wartowski, to his credit, took on each question. The ship would start off with generator power before quickly transitioning to solar energy. High-speed land-based internet would be provided with utility costs initially being included in the fees, but eventually being metered after subsequent system upgrades. And the priorities behind that were clear. Quote, you don't want to have to pay for someone else's mining rig in your cabin. Hinting at the fact that a lot of people are going to be mining crypto on this thing. On the matter of taxes, he made it clear that any income from ventures outside of Panama wouldn't be subject to any taxation. That's a big part of the draw for this thing. Mm -hmm. However, as the Reddit AMA goes on, certain practical challenges start to emerge. And you start to see the trouble with forming a libertarian community in a cruise ship. There are no taxes, but you can't have a microwave. Cooking facilities have to be confined to the restaurant due to safety regulations, banning microwaves in personal cabins. But maybe you can have a mini fridge. So he kind of tries to spin these inconveniences positively, mentioning restaurant discounts and the potential of tenants renting parts of the kitchen. Quote, we want entrepreneurs to come up with solutions and try them out. This is your place to try new things, end quote, was kind of his crack at reframing these limitations as an opportunity for innovation, to which one Redditor replied, no microwave but mining rigs, incoherent scam. <laughs> so it starts to kind of fall apart when it comes down to the, the, the fact that humans need to reside here, not just mining rigs. A little bit. As specifically when you're kind of selling it as this no tax, no regulation, we're going to do a crypto community type thing. Uh, turns sure. out there's a lot of regulations and rules. <laughs> we're lawless, but you can't put a microwave in your cabin because that's against the law. And there's like a 14-page document <laughs> about how pets work. The marketing campaign for the Sadoshi kicks into high gear, and the plan was to auction off its 777 cabins between November 5th and 28th, while the ship made its way across the Atlantic towards its final home in Panama. This Atlantic journey to Panama is very important for the future of the MS Satoshi. Viva Vivas, which has kind of now become the online sales platform, listed a variety of different options. You could get windowless cabins for 570 bucks a month, ocean view ones for 630, and a, and a cabin with a balcony for 720, which I will say, is pretty cheap as cruise ships go. I was gonna say it's just cheap. Yeah, it's pretty cheap. Seven hundred bucks is yeah. like like find me a, find me another major center that has rent that cheap for a, find me a cruise ship for a one bedroom I, I, with I, a balcony. I dug around and that's like typically double that at minimum. Um, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I, I've never been on a cruise. To state that, but I feel like they're probably in that five, six hundred bucks a night range for something nice. They're, they're not, I don't think they're that expensive. I'm sure you can pay that if you wanted to, but I think you can get into it for less than that, but a lot more than this. And I mean, they, they bought it for nine million dollars. It's the middle of the pandemic. It's, you know, 
is not a good time to be in the cruise business, even if it's like a special, special fancy <laughs> anarcho-capitalist cruise. It's still cruise during the middle of the pandemic. Fair, yeah. fair, fair. Ocean Builders held a series of video conference calls for prospective buyers. Uh, hundreds of people show up, and Ramunt does all the talking. And the whole thing is going to run on crypto. They were partnering with a platform called coinpayments.net, allowing them to accept various cryptocurrencies throughout the ship for payment, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Monero. A mathematically inclined person could go crunch the impact on the recent price fluctuations would have had on their investment had all of the profit and all of the money existing on the ship come in the form of Bitcoin post-October 2020. I, I think they'd be down. The frequently asked questions paid concluded with a somewhat surprising question about pet-friendly cabins, inadvertently highlighting the challenges of balancing uh, the individual liberties that are so important to this project with the close quarters of, you know, living on a boat. The response directed a user to a separate document detailing 14 conditions for pet ownership, including a weight limit of 20 pounds, a ban on persistent loud noises, and fines for pet waste thrown overboard. We will forge a new nation at sea, but please don't throw dog shit in it. The grand opening. On November 29th, Obertowski updates the Viva Vivas website saying, we're kicking this thing off January 2021. They had not, importantly, sold enough units at the time of this announcement for this to be economically viable. They were banking on selling them before they get to Panama. Despite this like concrete upcoming launch, the uncertainty was too much for a lot of potential buyers. Uh, as some folks online saw it, it takes a really particular breed of person to uproot their lives and move onto a deserted cruise ship in Central America with limited information and an unclear future governance model. If this very passionate but niche audience wasn't really biting on the idea at the speed they thought it was gonna, it begged the question, who would and when? Because if it doesn't happen by the time they arrive in Panama, they've got a bit of a problem on their hands. If we go back to the boat, over the three decades of voyaging around on the seas, the Satoshi, formerly the Pacific Dawn, had experienced almost every aspect of life on the ocean. And yet the prospect of being a permanent home to 2,000 cryptocurrency enthusiasts was very new for this boat. Ocean Builders had hired Columbia Cruise Services to handle the ship's operations and maintain a minimum crew of about 40 people. Captain Peter Harris, a veteran British cruise captain, was appointed to helm the ship. So he boards the Satoshi and he meets Coke. And Captain Harris realizes pretty quickly the magnitude of what they're trying to do. And he kind of describes it as that Coke, though admirable in his amb ambition and a seemingly kind of, he's a respectable guy in person, he didn't seem to have a lot of understanding about the shipping industry and seemed to have an aversion to learning the rules. He kind of viewed the ship as a bit more of a personal yacht than a commercial vessel. The ship needed certificates of seaworthiness, which had expired the day the sale was completed. In an oversight by ocean builders, this was not checked before finalizing the deal, which led to the ship being dry docked in Gibraltar for necessary repairs before it could embark on that Atlantic crossing. The journey finally begins Dece uh, December 3rd, not long before this thing is supposed to launch. For Harris, it is a weird experience. Sailing a boat like this, this far, with only 40 crew members on board instead of the typical 2,000 passengers. Um... The ship had a stockpile of 5,000 bottles of wine and 2,000 bottles of hard liquor left from its previous life. And Harris goes to Coke and says, hey, can the, can the crew drink? Do we charge them? How does that work? And Coke, to his credit, says, nah, my crew drinks free. The only restriction was a three-drink limit per day to ensure that they had a functioning uh, conscious crew. <laughs> Functioning crew. <laughs> like I said, I would really have liked to have been a fly on the wall during this voyage, which was, unfortunately, under this name, its only voyage. What happens when it arrives? After the break. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? 
Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Cliffhanger. I'm going to assume. You're going to assume. I'm going to assume. Gets repossessed or impounded somehow. <laughs> That's a pretty good guess. That's a pretty good guess. Mass, ma- massive lawsuits <laughs> ensue. In um, real sovereign states <laughs> where maybe offers were made and things were purchased. And. That's it. That's that's what I'm going to assume. Sure, sure. Um, to their credit, it doesn't quite go there. It, it doesn't quite get that bad. But it is ironic that this sort of anti-regulatory project is ultimately thwarted by regulation. <laughs> Throughout the voyage, some concerns start to grow. According to Captain Harris, El Wartowski was under the impression that he could convince the Panamanian authorities to permit the ship to permanently anchor within its jurisdiction and be reclassified as a residential structure instead of a ship. This was how he planned to evade some of the very stringent maritime regulations that would otherwise govern its operation. However, Panama insisted that the ship maintain its maritime status even while anchored off their coast which starts to raise all these other issues. Practical stuff like wastewater discharge. Despite having a very good waste management system, the ship wasn't allowed to discharge treated water into Panama's waters, meaning that they would have to basically do poop runs into international water all of the time to empty their tanks, which for a permanent kind of housing type thing, not great. Insurance, another huge hurdle. No insurer is willing to provide cover for a floating crypto community thing. Ramont's tasked with that. He explores multiple insurance brokers and providers and just starts to realize that there's a lot of regulation in the cruise ship industry for a reason. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty bad time to realize that. Like democracy, (laughs) 250 years (laughs) Has proven that it's one of the only it. thing that lasts over two hundred years of 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 shipping about three hundred years, four or five hundred years of shipping about the world. Regulations get created for a reason. Who knew? Who knew? That's always the thing about these projects: is that when you start from we're going to strip away all this stuff and that'll fix the problem, it's always shocking how quickly they end up recreating the stuff they had to get rid of. Yeah, just like regulation on the crypto business, huh? Eh? <laughs> Nudge, nudge. Eh? Eh? (laughs) (laughs) So they could have engaged a top-notch marine legal team to navigate the loopholes if they'd had more time. But by mid-December, the ship is in the middle of the ocean on its way to Panama. The maintenance of the ship, even when it was parked, necessitated a constant crew presence, which meant that this whole thing was costing a ton of money every single day. The sheer size of the boat meant that even when it was parked, it cost like a million bucks a month roughly just to, just to have it, which is to say nothing of while it was operating going across the ocean. Fuel, another immense cost. You got 12K a day. No one in it, it just costs that much to move this thing. Coke's attempt at enhancing fuel efficiency, again, as a non-boat engineer, was to propose the installation of a smaller, more efficient engine which was practically impossible and arguably unsafe because you're cutting a hole large enough into the hull below the water level to remove an engine and put another one in, which radically raises the prospect of sh- like sinking the entire thing. <laughs> uh, Captain Harris frequently ha- found himself having to counsel against this idea. So they're approaching Panama. They're seemingly kind of panicking. They aren't selling the units. It's unclear where they're going to keep it long-term. They're bleeding money. They can't afford to keep it anchored and unoccupied for an indefinite period of time while wrestling with this insurance issue. They had insurance to sail the ship, but their dream wasn't to run a travel company. 
Their dream was to operate a floating community of freedom-loving nerds arranged symbolically in the shape of the Bitcoin B. <laughs> and there just might not be a good way to pay for <laughs> Just the collapse, the collapse of dreams. The collapse of dreams. Before their dream could set sail, uh, Ramont, Coke, and Ewartowski realized it's probably over. Not set sail, anchor, and, and never move again. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, before the dream could permanently park inside of Panama's waters, but far enough out that they could ship out poop, the dream died. They unfortunately figured out that this dream was done mid-journey across the Atlantic. The Satoshi was too far into its 5,500 nautical mile voyage to turn back. So left with no choice, the Ocean Builders decides to sell the ship. And the trouble was that all of this, this whole story, this has happened in like a few months. So the pandemic that helped them get that boat real good and cheap, still in full swing. So finding a buyer interested in anything other than dismantling the ship for scrap, really, really tough. And continuing to own it was costing them millions a month. Consequently, December 18th, while still at sea, they announced the sale of the Satoshi to a scrapyard in Along, India. The Satoshi is once more facing disassembly. Which is sad. I've grown emotionally attached to this boat. Mm-hmm. The following day, Elwartowski publicly declares the end of the Satoshi's journey on the Viva Vivas website. He laments its failure. Ramont, in the meantime, informs potential customers of the ship's fate via email, assuring them they're going to get their money back, to his credit. The Satoshi finally reaches Balboa, Panama, on December 22nd, anchoring off the coast of it on Christmas Eve. And Ramont joins Coke and the crew on board, while Elwartowski opted to stay in Panama City. In the midst of this failed venture... Ramont kind of remembers that he's the part owner of an enormous cruise ship. And deciding to make the best of the situation, he decides to celebrate Christmas aboard the Satoshi with the crew. And with the literal master key in hand, he just starts exploring the boat, going wherever he wants. He tours the engine room, relaxes on the sun deck, takes solo rides on the big water slides that kind of define the silhouette of the boat. Nice, nice. Uh, which the captain... Very, Captain Harris very kindly turned them on for Christmas Day. They hadn't been running. I thought that was cute. Despite the monumental financial mistakes that led him here, he got to have a pretty cool Christmas, and I appreciate that. And that brings us, finally, to the dismantling. The process of dismantling the Satoshi just turned out to be almost as big a fiasco. After striking a deal with an Indian scrapyard, the Ocean Builders team discovered something called the Basel Convention, which governs the disposal of hazardous waste at sea, and forbid them from sending the ship from Panama, who is a signatory country of the Basel Convention, to India, a non-signatory country, where it would be torn apart kind of outside of the bounds of that law. So they're shipping the boat one way, they say we're gonna ship it back the other way, they realize that's illegal and they have to cancel that contract which is where things kind of take a turn for the better for the old Satoshi. Word of the ship's very weird situation reaches a shipbroker who realizes his client, Ambassador Cruise Lines, might be interested in picking this boat up. They have this vision of turning it into kind of the flagship of their new fleet. Uh, the price was not disclosed, but they put in an offer and they buy the boat, suggesting that Ocean Builders sold it for around $12 million. So they made money. They sold it for more than they bought it for, but they'd been... Yeah, operating it for about a million a month for several months. So it probably came out in the red. <laughs> so my assumptions, all wrong, all wrong. Didn't get seized. No. Had, I, you haven't mentioned a lawsuit yet, so there hasn't been any major lawsuits, so I was completely off base. There have been no major lawsuits. The boat was never seized. A couple of fellas bought wow. a boat to try and turn it into a permanent uh, kind of crypto tax-free community. Um, uh, and realized midway on the ride there it wasn't going to work, and you turned it and sold it off. So a wild, crazy saga with ultimately not too much harm done. And and now you're saying it, it is an active cruise ship again. So you and I could go <laughs> on a respective vacation <laughs> and go to the MS Satoshi. Oh, man. I hadn't really considered that you could just book a ticket on this, but they bought it and they're <laughs> operating it and it's sailing around. Let's go. Let's do it. I wonder where I wonder where it is in the world. 
Like if it's like in the Caribbean, if it's in Europe, if it's sure. in Well, should we go? I think we do it. I think we I think we take a I mean, again, I really wish we could have been on it during that Atlantic voyage because I think that would have been really, really cool <laughs> with the three drink minimum and the crew with no one to like have to provide service to. I'm like, I I, I would have liked to have seen that. But uh, now I'll go now. I'm I'm looking. We can go do a Norwegian fjord cruise in August. Sick. Three to seven nights. Wow. Very reasonable. Very reasonable. Still a good time to go on a cruise. <laughs> For 700 pounds, British pounds. Not crazy. Yeah. Not crazy. Not bad. Just for just for the lulls, we could go do it. Just for the lulls, uh, another take a trip on the MS Satoshi. So, what happens to the Ocean Builders team? El Wartowski says, "I'm taking a break. I'm going on I'm going on a sabbatical." But Coke and Romont start start working on sea pods again. They're out of the cruise ship business, but they still like the idea of aquaculture. And as we have looked up, sea pods still a thing today. They're in construction. All of the very nice photos are renders, but they look cool. They say you'll get delivered stuff by drones. Ocean Builders claims it will have the first 100 custom pods either in production or delivered by the end of 2023, and I have set myself a reminder in my calendar to see if that is true. And then it says that the next rollout of 1,000 pods will begin 2024. Their new product, I don't know if you saw this on the website, is called the Green Pod. I did. And the revolutionary idea there is that what if we took a sea pod and we put it on land? <laughs> Aquatecture, but on land. We're going to need a new word for that. <laughs> Which brings us back uh, to, to, to the boat that we're apparently going to be taking a cruise on somewhat soon. Uh, in her new home in Montenegro, the Satoshi receives uh, some much-needed updates and for the fourth time in her three-decade history, is given a new name, Ambience. When the newly renamed Ambience set off on her maiden voyage from Tilbury to Hamburg in April 2022, it offers a much more traditional cruise experience to its passengers. Importantly, Bitcoin was not accepted as currency. <laughs> <laughs> 